Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. My name's Ryan, and I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor, and I just want to welcome all of our first-time and returning guests. And uh, just so you know, like, we don't always dress like this on Sundays. Uh, it's a Rector Team Sunday, as Andrea had mentioned, but um, here's kind of what we believe around here. Uh, church should be enjoyed, not just endured, right? And uh, so we like to have a little bit of fun from time to time. But uh, I want to especially welcome those of you that are watching online and uh, welcome those that might be trying us out for the first time, we know that uh, oftentimes you'll watch online before you'll step foot in the house. And so we look forward to seeing you here real, real soon. Um, So my name's Ryan and uh, I'm 47 years old. And uh, over my 47 years, I've had the opportunity to meet uh, a lot of amazing people. Uh, Been able to meet a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. And one thing that I have uh, come across is not one single person that I have ever met has ever said, I want to lose in life. (laughs) Anybody want to lose in life? Yeah, nobody, nobody wants to be a loser. You see, it's not about whether we want to win or not. It's about how do we win? How do we win in this thing called life? And over the next six weeks, we're gonna talk a little bit about that and see if we can find the answer. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, the legendary uh, coach, Vince Lombardi. Any Green Bay Packer fans in the house? Like none, great. Um, But anyway, Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach. And uh, 62 years ago, he walks into training camp holding a football. 36 professional football players are seated in front of him, and he stands before these 36 professional football players that have been playing football all of their life, holding a football, and he says these five words, gentlemen, this is a football. (laughs) This is a football. And in those five words, he communicated his point to his players that if you don't remember and execute the fundamentals of the game, you'll never be successful. And so over the course of training camp, they taught all of these players the fundamentals of the game all over again. They taught them how to run. They taught them how to to throw the ball. They taught them how to catch. They taught them how how to tackle. They even taught them how to think about the game. And then six months later, this same group of men gathered again to hear yet another speech from Vince Lombardi. This time, it was a speech congratulating them for winning the NFL championship. You see, what Vince Lombardi understood is that if we don't remember and execute the fundamentals of the game, then we will not be successful. Hopefully, you're paying attention. Yes. 
I told him, I said, I want a quarterback, so I have no idea where this football's going, and it's certainly not going to be a spiral. And uh, I, think I, I think I was prophetic on that this morning. <laughs> um, it reminds me of a, another story, an uh, athlete by the name of Kobe Bryant. And in 2007, um, Alan Stein Jr., who was a um, a performance coach, um, a guy who had done a lot of training with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, um, was so enamored by um, Kobe Bryant's workout regimen that he asked Kobe Bryant, hey, can I come check out one of your workouts? So Kobe says, yeah, for sure. Um, meet me here at four o'clock tomorrow. And, uh, and Alan goes, 4 p.m.? And Kobe goes, no, 4 a.m. And so Alan gets up early because he's thinking, I'm going to beat Kobe to the gym. I want to be a student of everything that he does. And so Alan shows up at 3.30. And when he gets there, he notices the lights are already on in the gym. The basketball is already bouncing. He walks into the gym and finds Kobe Bryant at 3.30 in the morning already in a full sweat. And he's shocked. Like he's thinking for sure he's going to show up at 4 a.m. And, and Kobe's going to take some time and stretch and do all that kind of stuff. And so he's completely shocked that he's already 30 minutes into a workout. And then he gets shocked that as he begins to watch Kobe Bryant in his personal workout, that over half of the time he spends on the basics. He spent half of the time focusing, this is the best player in the world at the time, spending over half of his workout focusing on the basics. And so Alan asked Kobe Bryant afterwards, he says, you know, what, what's this all about? Like, why, why are you the best player in the world? Why in the world are you spending so much time on just the basics of the game? And Kobe Bryant responds this way. He says, do you know why I'm the best player in the world? Kobe says, it's because I never get bored with the fundamentals. Never gets bored with them. You know, today we're kicking off a new six-week message series called Game Plan, where we're going to be navigating this idea of what is God's will for our life. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you from this title, The Fundamentals of the Game. I want to talk to you about the fundamentals of God's will for our life. And in this series, we're gonna do something. We're gonna, we're gonna try to tackle three, what I would consider critical and important questions that we need answers to if we're gonna understand God's will for our life. The first two weeks, today and tomorrow, we're gonna tackle these two questions. What is God's will for my life? And then we're gonna tackle a question that not many really um, uh, dig into much, and that is, why does it matter? Like, it's one thing to, to, to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? But it's a whole other thing to discover why God's will for our life matters. And then we're going to spend the following four weeks um, unpacking how do we live God's will out for our lives. And so, just like we learned from the greatest of the greats that we can't win in game of life if we neglect the fundamentals of the game, I want us to dig into 
the fundamentals of God's will over the next two weeks. So if you got your Bibles, um, grab those, your smartphone, head to Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have that, we'll have what you need up here on the screens. But a while back, I talked about this passage in Matthew seven. And, and today I really have to go back to it to help us understand God's will and why it matters for our life. And so we're gonna dig into that just a little bit. So in Matthew 7, here's what we're seeing. Let me kind of set the scene for you a little bit. So Jesus has, has spent two years um, teaching, two years at this point healing people. And so all of a sudden, this great crowd of people began to congregate up on a mountainside. Now, some of these people are um, followers, some of them are disciples, some of them are people whose lives have been already impacted by this guy by the name of Jesus, and then some of them are onlookers. Some of them are people that are just kind of curious, like, what's this Jesus guy and Jesus thing all about? And the Bible says in this story that, that word began to spread over 300 miles away from where Jesus was. 300 miles from this location, word over the last two years began to spread and this crowd began to come and to form. And I want you to think about that for just a second because back in these days, there's no internet, right? There's no social media. There's no TikTok posts. There's no IG that's getting the word out. There's no news channels like MSNBC and CNN and Fox News. They're not covering what Jesus is doing, but yet what he's doing is spreading like wildfire. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if we had a secret here in Tallahassee and we decided that we're going to begin to spread the secret it would be as if the secret would spread by word of mouth from Tallahassee all the way to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is almost 300 miles away. That it would spread not using news or social media, that it would spread just by word of mouth. I mean, it's crazy to even think about that, especially back in those days. Now, check this out. So the people in Chattanooga, they hear the good news, right? It's one thing to get them the good news. It's a whole nother thing for them to then get to the news. I mean, this is back at a time where there's no cars, no planes, no bus, no train. I mean, all they've got are their two feet, and if they're rich enough, they got a camel, right? And they're going to head from Chattanooga to Tallahassee, some two to three week journey nonstop for them to get to this moment. And Jesus looks out and sees this massive crowd of people, and, and this is what he does. He comes up with a multi-day sermon with 19 points, <laughs> A multi-day sermon with 19 points. And at the end of Jesus' message, he says something that I think might be a bit shocking to us this morning. But this helps us to understand, notice this, God's will, not from our perspective, but from God's perspective, and it provides us some important fundamentals for us to know in order to help us win 
with God's word and his will. Now, I'm gonna warn you as we get into these few verses that it's kind of like cleaning out a wound. Do you remember when you were a kid and you fell down and, and you scuffed your knee? Um, the worst thing was to have to get in the shower or the tub after you did it, right? It was the worst. Like if you're anything like me, like you got in and, and, and you like cleaned all the way around that, that knee, right? And, and today our, our passage of scripture is almost like gonna take that soap and it's gonna rub it a little bit. It's gonna rub a little bit. But here's what we've gotta understand is that it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Uncomfortable, just like a wound, it's uncomfortable to clean it out, but it's necessary. And so we're gonna look at this, um, this passage of scripture today. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, starting there. Here's what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to think about the fact that he's mentioning Lord, Lord, because I don't know many atheists out there that are calling him Lord. I don't know many people that want nothing to do with Jesus that are out there calling him Lord, Lord. I think it's important that we, when we read this, that we were reading it through the context of the fact that these are a lot of people that are out there that have been around Jesus, right? And he feels the need in this moment to kind of draw a line between the ones that have been exposed or around Jesus to the ones that are true followers of Jesus. And so he makes this statement to this crowd that not everyone who calls on me, Lord, Lord, is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he does this. He says, only those... Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now, there's something interesting about this word do, and if you took um, any kind of training in Greek language and all that stuff, then you might, you might remember some of this stuff. But this word do in the original language is, this is the tense, and the tense is very important. If you're a grammar, uh, English grammar teacher, you understand tense is important. And so this word in the original language is the present active participle verb, which I know means nothing to most of us, but here's what it means to the text. It means that this word do isn't just a box that we check. It means that it is a continuous act. The tense is, is that we are, are continually doing the will of God. We're not just checking off a box saying, I've done God's will. We are continuing. It's more of a lifestyle than it is a box that we check. And that is important as we read the text. In verse 22, it says, on judgment day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, right? And these are people like, okay, so what is Satan's ultimate goal? Satan's ultimate goal is deception, right? He's a liar. The Bible says that he is a deceiver of all. He is a liar. He's here, John 10, 10 says he comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. And so doesn't it sound kind of like what Satan would do to convince us that we have our eternal destination secured and then we get, can you imagine? 
Can you imagine living your entire life thinking that everything is good and then when you die and you go before the throne, Jesus looks at you and says, on judgment day, many are gonna say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Notice this isn't about them, it's about, it's even in Jesus's name. Like we prophesied in your name. We, we cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles. We made other people's lives even better. Like we did all of this in your name. And Jesus says, I'm gonna reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. And then the four words that none of us want to hear. Get away from me. You who break God's laws. I mean, uncomfortable but necessary for us to understand the significance behind God's will for our life because he says right here in the text that only those who are actually doing this ongoing behavior of of doing, we're not talking about perfection, we're not saying that that we're not gonna go through some some like, hot seasons in our life for God and some cold seasons in our life for God, but he's saying that that what is your primary focus in life? Is your primary focus about fulfilling God's will for your life? Is your primary focus about fulfilling your will for your life? Uncomfortable, but necessary. That we've got to look at in order for us to win in this game called life. So this morning, I wanna give you two fundamentals and I'm gonna give you some next week as well, but I wanna give you two fundamentals from this text that you and I cannot overlook if we're gonna get God's will right in our life. Before we go to the first one, I need you to hang with me. Uncomfortable but necessary, all right? Hang with me because when you see this, number one, you're gonna like, you're gonna kind of, mm, Let me explain, okay? All right, did I set that up okay? All right, (laughs) number one, this is answering the question, why does God's will matter for our life? Because being committed to God's will, not just a prayer, right, is the eligibility requirement for heaven. That's what Jesus, this in my words, this is what Jesus said in this text. That being committed to, not getting it perfect, but being committed to God's will, not just a prayer, like, like not, just, not just having a moment where emotionally you're moved in a service and you raise your hand and you say, Jesus, I want you to come into my, into my heart Not just that, but it's being committed to God's will. It's this idea of repentance in the Bible, 
all right? And so what repentance is, is I'm going this way with my life, and then I have an encounter with God. And in that encounter with God, I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And here's what Jesus is trying to draw a line between, is that oftentimes what happens is, is we pray a prayer, okay? We check off the box, the spiritual box of I got heaven good, and then we keep going the way that we've been going in our life. Encounter with God, and I'm going to keep going my way. And what repentance is in scripture is encounter with God, recognizing this is the way my life has been going, and that's not the way that God would have me go. And so because of the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross, right, we turn and we head towards God. We turn on, it doesn't mean that we don't fall short, doesn't mean that we don't make some stupid decisions along the way and have to suffer the consequences. But what it does mean is as long as we're moving this way, Romans 8.28 is true. Hold on, I don't know, some of you are like, some of you are like, okay, I think I know what that is, but maybe I don't know what it is. Romans 8.28 says, and God will, right, use all things for the good, of those <laughs> who believe in him. I'm gonna talk about the I'll talk about some of that here in just a second. But notice, if I have an encounter with God and I keep going my way, Romans 8:28 doesn't apply to my life. You can't keep going my own way and be like, oh, well, God, you said that you were going to work this thing out and this thing out, and God's like, go my way and I'll work it out. You keep going your way and I ain't going to work it out. Like, I'm not going to interject myself into all the mess that you keep doing. I'm good with mess as long as it's mess in the direction of my plan for your life, not your own. And so when we make that decision to turn, not a prayer, but commit to God's will for my life, then along the way as I make mistakes and I take detours and God says, no, haven't you learned? It's back this way and we get the on-ramp back onto God's will for my life. It's then and only then that Romans 8.28 applies to my life that he's gonna take all of my exits, all of my detours, and he's gonna pull them back and use them ultimately for my good in the long run. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain in this moment. You see, here's the reality, is that we live in a world today that is trying to convert you to cheap Christianity, not real Christianity. Cheap Christianity, not real Christianity. We see this in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, right? Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's cheap Christianity. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. That's real Christianity. Let me show it to you this way. Look at this graph. And I want to warn you right now that I did not um, pass uh, the Navy SEAL training for sniper uh, whatever. And so when you see this green light, it, it ain't gonna be steady, folks. Like this thing's gonna be bouncing around. So, um, but I want you to see this. I want you to see the difference between cheap Christianity, 
which Jesus says doesn't save, and real Christianity, which Jesus says does save. So as it relates to our relationship with Jesus, cheap Christianity, we're fans. Remember, you're going to get before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, right? Those aren't the atheists. Those aren't the people that want nothing. These are people who admire and respect Jesus. These are people that even might, might even look at God's word and say, that's true. That's God's word. Like, I believe, I believe in all of it, right? We can do that and just admire and respect Jesus. If we're going to to really have real Christianity in our life that saves, then our relationship with God moves from being just a fan to being a follower. What's the difference between fan and follower? Follower means that whenever God gets a hold of my life, that I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna leave the old, and I'm gonna go towards the new. Not gonna be perfect, but I'm gonna head in that direction. What does it look like for intimacy with the Lord? If we are, uh, have fallen for cheap Christianity, then our, rela- our, our intimacy with God is shallow. It's kind of like a dating app, right? What is a dating app? Like whenever you feel like going out on a date with somebody, like, like you can jump on the dating app. And uh, don't they have some weird names for dating apps right now? Like farmers meet in the field, like, like weird stuff, like... <laughs> And so your relationship is, is more of convenience with God. Like as long as, as long as I'm not inconvenienced with God, right? As long as he's kind of given me what I'm praying for, like I've been praying for that job and as long as he gives me the job, then I'm cool. But if I never get the job, then am I really cool with God? Like that's, that's a shallow kind of intimacy with the Lord. Well, real Christianity is deep. It's more like a marriage. Like Andrew and I are, are married and we have fights, we have disagreements, right? There's plenty of times that, that she's wrong and I'm right. Um, <laughs> it's second service, so I got a little bit more time. I got to tell you this story. Um, when we first got married, um, uh, and I, I've known that I've had issues for a long time, um, but when we first got married, um, I told her, she said, you think you're, we got in a big uh, argument. She said, you think you're right all the time. I said, no, I don't think I'm right all, I think I'm right 99.9% of the time. That did, <laughs> it went over about as well as that laugh did. Um, <laughs> and so like 10 years later, we had the same conversation. I said, I think I'm down to like 99.2. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm an awesome husband. Um, and so our, our, our intimacy, our connection with God is, is more committed. Like wh- whether we get everything we want or we don't get everything we want, like whether our life is going perfect or it's not going perfect, like we're committed, you know, on the commitment side. Like cheap Christianity is partially committed, right? When you look at at Real Christianity, it's totally, like, I'm all in. Like, it's the idea of the Thanksgiving plate with the compartments. Like, a lot of times what we do is we give God just one compartment of all the compartments of the plate. And what real Christianity is, is God, you can have the whole plate. Like, you can have every area of my life. 
when we look at purpose, when we look at what are we here for, what are we living for, cheap Christianity is I, I admire Jesus, I respect Jesus, but I'm going to live my life for me. Like, what are my goals? What are my dreams? What are my aspirations, right? Um, real Christianity is all about being selfless. It's about God has so transformed and changed my life that I don't want to keep this to myself. Like, I want everybody around me to experience what God has done in me. And that's what real Christianity is all about. And then lifestyle, the way that we live our life. Cheap Christianity is about professing, right? We talk the talk, we wear the Christian t-shirts, we got the cross around our neck, but we're not walking the walk. Where real Christianity is, we're, we're practicing. Like we are, are talking the talk, but we are also walking the walk. And the world is just, the world is doing everything it can to try to convert as many people as they can to cheap Christianity. Now, I know that there's some that would, that would kind of push back a little bit and say, you know, well, well, didn't Jesus and Paul, didn't they talk about, you know, salvation, being connected to, you know, belief and faith? And, and I would say, yes, but. <laughs> I would say, yes, but. You see, yes, John 6 and Acts 16 and Romans 10 and Ephesians 2, they all say that salvation is a result of belief. But when you look at that word belief in the original language, it doesn't mean what the English language means when it comes to belief. In the English language, when we say belief, that word means to accept as true. That's it. It's a mental acceptance that something is true. But when you look at the word throughout scripture in the original language, it's not only to accept that it's true, but then it also adds an action to it to commit to it. So you're, ac you're accepting that it's true, but then you're also committing to it. And that's why James was so quick to say in James chapter two, what good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? He says a few verses later, so you see, faith by itself, like just an admiration or a respect for Jesus by itself, he's like, that's not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So we see the first one. Why does it matter? It matters because it's, it's the eligibility requirement that we're kind of leaned in and committed to God's will for our life. The second one, and our worship team is gonna make their way up. The second one kind of begins to scratch the surface to the what is God's will for your life. And this one you cannot miss. This one, this one the rest of the weeks in this series will not matter if you don't get this one. The second one is God's will is less about do and more about you. It's less about do. And it's more about you. What was Jesus saying real Christianity um, was? It was this ongoing pursuit of God's will. And so if we're gonna understand what God's will is, then we need to understand first what it's not. 
And he says here in verse 22, he shows us what it's not. He says, it's, it's not just about the things that you do, even if you're doing those things for me. He says in verse 22, on judgment day, many are going to say to me, right? Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy, cast out demons, perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus is like, listen, it's not just about doing stuff for me. He says, my will is in the next verse. And he says that phrase, like I never knew you. He's basically saying, listen, the primary reason or purpose of my will isn't about all the things that you do. It's about you. It's about who you are becoming in Christ Jesus. And so why does, why does Jesus ask them, like, at that moment, a judgment day, like, you got to leave? And, and the reason why is because, because they're more focused on doing stuff for God than allowing their life to be transformed by God. Listen, does God have things for us to do? Absolutely. Absolutely part of God's will is things that he wants us to do. However, those things are always secondary. And if you don't get this, you're going to miss the whole point of God's will. They're always secondary to who God wants you to be. Think about as a parent, what good does it do to raise your kids to do a lot of things, but they're not really, it's not really who they are. At the end of the day, your desire as a, as a parent is that your kids get it. That they understand it's not just about doing, but they are, they are the kind of people that have integrity, that have character. That you might not be able to explain to them like how to respond in a specific situation, but because they got it inside of them, they can enter into a situation that they've never been in before and they can execute it in the proper way because they understand the fundamentals. They understand that ultimately God's will is not about the do, but it's about the you. You know, I've experienced... In my lifetime of following Jesus, I've experienced a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. I've experienced a lot of pain, some bitterness, resentment towards God. Like I've had those seasons and I've had those feelings and those moments. And, and as I get later in life, the more that I look back, I recognize that the reason why I struggled so much with God's will for my life was because I was so focused on doing things for God that I neglected who God wanted me to become. And my guess is, is there might be some of you here today that have done that too. Friend, if that's you, I wanna share just three quick things that have helped me to be able to, to see God's will from his perspective, not mine. First one is this. 
instead of asking when, instead of asking God when things are gonna happen in your life, ask who? Ask God, who am I becoming while I wait? It's the character question. Like even even though I don't know when things are gonna happen, that I'm gonna be focused on who am I becoming? The second question, instead of asking God where, where am I supposed to go, right? Do you have me going out of state? Do you have me in state? Where, where, what job? Like before I start asking all of that stuff, ask how. How do you want me to act when I get there? It's the witness question. And then third, instead of asking what, what do you want me to do? Begin to ask why. God, why am I doing it? Friend, it's the motivation question. And I promise you, church, that if you'll get these fundamentals down as we begin to step into this series about God's will, and you'll begin to slow down a little bit on the when, God, are you gonna make it happen and, and where, God, am I supposed to go and, God, what am I supposed to do? And, and you'll reorient those questions to, God, who, who am I becoming? And how do you want me to act? And why am I doing it? The friend, it's gonna give you God's perspective of his will, not your own. And friend, that's how we win in this thing called life. And would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes for just a moment. In this moment, I wanna ask you the question that we ask every week. God, what are you saying to me today? Here's what I know and believe is that God is speaking But sometimes our world around us is going so fast and it's so loud that we don't slow down, we don't still ourselves enough to be able to hear what God is speaking. So between you and God in this moment, I want you to ask him, God, what are you saying to me today through this message? What are you saying? you saying maybe today and as we read through the scriptures maybe you saw yourself maybe you saw yourself in one of those verses maybe you saw yourself as somebody who's admired Jesus respected Jesus but but you don't really see yourself as the one that is is really committed and leaning into his will for your life. If that's you today, maybe what God is whispering to you in this moment is to come back to him. Friend, it'd be much better to come back to him now than to hear him say, get away from me. It's not worth it. Or maybe today, maybe you've been leaning into God's will but you've been asking some questions like, God, what do you want me to do? 
And that question of what do you want me to do has just been weighing so heavy on you. Or maybe your question is, is God, when are you gonna do this? You know, when, when is this open door gonna happen in my life? Or when are you gonna bring this about in my life? And, and, and your focus has been so laser focused on the outcome of that. And maybe for you today, God's saying, listen, slow down, reorient yourself, and ask the you questions, not the do questions. Because at the end of the day, all the things that he has desired for us to do are secondary to what he wants to do in you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.